0: I'm so excited for today's podcast episode. Emily is honestly a saint for coming back because what many of you don't know is that we had recorded this episode a few weeks ago and there was a glitch in my podcast hosting system. So the episode was never able to air because the only thing that recorded was me, none of her voiceover in the interview recorded. So we were incredibly bummed and I had asked her, okay, I mean, I can just share tips based on what you told me in that interview, or you can come back and we can do it again. And she said, let's do it again. Why not? You know, we had a test run, we figured out what was working. And I also was able to dig into her content a lot more and come a little bit more prepared with, some deeper questions into how you identify if you're insulin resistant, how you can test at home, if you're able to drink alcohol if you have insulin resistance, how do you even balance your hormones? She gave us insight into the fact that insulin is a hormone, which for some reason I felt like I didn't know until my daughter was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And we talk about her viral Starbucks hacks, the fact that she built her Instagram platform from a thousand followers to 116,000 followers, in about one year, how she's gone viral on TikTok, and all of her goals in building out her program and how she coaches women today, and a sneak peek into a new program that she's creating that will be available in the fall for anyone who is looking for ongoing health and wellness training, ultimately, and just to have a a wellness coach who, will be able to kind of give you insight tips and help you manage insulin resistance if that's something that you suffer from this is an incredibly informative episode and i'm so glad that she chose to come back i hope you all enjoy i just told you this but i Emily is literally an angel for returning to the show after our first after our first um after our first try had a glitch. So now we can jump in again and I feel like there's so much also. I'm just flagging because I've been going down the rabbit hole and I just told you this. Your TikTok is truly so informative. I hadn't dug in there as much and when I started diving in to all of the different every single question that i had
1: you were answering oh for me wow that's TikTok. amazing i'm so glad that it was like that informative
0: totally so i can see how you grew your platform so fast so we can talk about that a little bit too i know we talked about that in v1 but first because no one has heard your story about how you got here can you tell us again <laughs> How, how you got here? Like what made you interested in insulin resistance and what made you compelled to want to tell more people and really help people out there that might be struggling. So
1: what really got me into insulin resistance is my, I opened my own private practice and I had already been a dietitian for quite a while, like about six, six years. And so when I opened my private practice, I was focused on macro counting because in school, that's what we're taught uh, the most to help people with weight loss because we're so focused on calorie deficits. Um, and that method does work for you know quite a lot of people. It wouldn't exist if it didn't. And so I'm not knocking that at all, but it's just not for everybody. And yes, you do have to be in a deficit, but I believe there's a lot more to it now getting into insulin resistance and realizing the hormone influence on everything. Um, but how I actually got into it was there was like, I, if I could put a percentage on it, I would say 45% of my practice couldn't lose weight, no matter what calorie counts we did, no matter what macro variations. And I felt bad and frustrated that I couldn't help them and that they're trying all these different things. And it's just not sticking. And If anybody here has, or listening has ever tracked macros or calories, it's a lot of work. So like, if you're working hard like that on your nutrition and you're not seeing results, it's so discouraging. So I just really, at one point, I actually felt like I wasn't a good dietitian. I was like, why can I not help all these people? Like I can help some people, but not everybody. And so uh, one of my clients at the time that had been working hard for like months, she got diagnosed with sleep apnea. And I was looking through my medical nutrition therapy book, um, which is a book that you use mostly for clinical diagnosis. So dietitians can help with medical nutrition therapy. And so, uh, I was looking through there for sleep apnea to see if there was anything that I could relate to nutrition and it kept coming up and saying insulin resistance is very common when you have sleep apnea because of the high cortisol levels that run throughout the day when you're not sleeping properly. And I was just like, oh my gosh, insulin resistance. So that's when I went down the rabbit hole of insulin resistance and I was just really blown away. Um, but still didn't really know how many people were impacted by insulin resistance. And so I had a phone call with that client and she said, I think I know what it is. And I said, me too. And I was like, you go first. And she's like insulin resistance. And I was like, yes, that's what I came up with too. She's very smart and like well-researched and, Um, So anyways, we both decided that we would do a more carb controlled diet without dropping her calories low, low. And so that's what we implemented. And we leaned into healthy fats to keep her full. And she just started losing weight it was amazing to just see week after week the weight was just coming off and so i decided to talk to some of these other clients that were also struggling to get them to go get a fasting insulin to see if that could be the issue and sure enough they just kept coming back one after one insulin resistant and i was just my mind was blown and so I think I was telling you last time at the time I think I had like 1700 followers on Instagram and I had been working on that for like 2 years so not a very big following and then on TikTok like a thousand I really wasn't on TikTok that much but I just wanted to raise awareness for people to go and get a fasting insulin if they were struggling with weight loss and had tried all the things and felt like you know they just could not lose weight or get anywhere with it um to at least get your insulin checked and see what's going on with that. And to raise awareness that it's different from glucose or A1C, it's not the same. And so I within two years, now I have like 773,000 followers between TikTok and Instagram. It's just been insane how many people really related to the content and wanted to try something that was more tailored towards blood sugar That's amazing.
0: When you, so for people who don't totally know the difference between glucose, A1C and insulin resistance, can you explain what insulin resistance is?
1: Yes. Yes. So insulin resistance, like the cause of it is mostly from obesity and why you're you may be overweight, could be from family history of type 2 diabetes, so maybe your hormones are more prone to fat storage, or you have you struggle with blood sugar, you know more. um or you could eat a diet that causes weight gain and eventually insulin resistance. So it's whenever your body is getting too much glucose, which you get from carbohydrates mainly. Um, whenever the blood sugar, is high and you're consuming over consuming energy like that, the pancreas has to pump out insulin. So if you can imagine like your cells, they have little receptors on them and let's say you eat some glucose and the glucose needs to get into your cell in order to give you energy and the pancreas pumps out insulin, which is like little keys, and they have to go up to these receptors on your cells and unlock this receptor so the glucose can go inside of your cell. Whenever there's too much glucose, the pancreas is producing so much insulin that these little doors on your cells, they get worn down and worn out and they become resistant to the insulin. And so then the glucose is not entering the cell and is backing up in the blood. And so you're getting higher blood sugars for food that maybe you wouldn't be getting if you actually if your um your cells were not uh insulin resistant that's so crazy i
0: feel like i've learned a little bit about this process as it relates to diabetes because my daughter is type 1 Um, and so the, the door analogy and the cell and receptor makes a lot of sense. It's interesting that this can be a precursor for more issues as a result of things like obesity. And I feel like a lot of people that are likely, or, well, I mean, I would love your take on this. My take is that a lot of I can see how you have become so popular on TikTok and Instagram because, like myself, a woman who's gone through what I imagine is some issues with my hormones that have not been diagnosed, an inability to lose weight despite what I feel like is a pretty good exercise routine, eating regularly. This must feel like an absolute. Oh my gosh, like, oh, my mind is blown. I might have something that no one has been able to diagnose for me. So, being able to actually feel seen through something that you didn't even know was possible with your body, that must be rewarding to feel and know that you're helping so many people get a better handle on their health and become their own advocates.
1: It is so, it is so rewarding. And I'm thankful for everybody that I can like help on that journey. It's a little bit of pressure too, because people are like, you've given me renewed hope, but it's also, you know, very rejuvenating and motivating to focus on food from a blood sugar aspect instead of such like a calorie macro focus. You can actually look at the food. You can use strategies. It's very stimulating, I think, for people too, because they're trying something they've never tried before, as far as like food goes and the organic of it and moving their body and they're getting the results of like feeling better right away. And so I think that that's like very motivating. For what them are common well. misconceptions
0: about being or having insulin resistance?
1: I think a big one is that you can't eat carbs or that you know carbs are the reason people are insulin resistant. Yes, they have like something to do with it, but it also, the quality of your carbs matter and different people react differently to carbohydrates. You might have, since I work with clients and they have continuous glucose monitors, I can see this firsthand where two people can eat the exact same meal as far as carbs go and one person may spike very high and the other person tolerates it very well. So um, this can also have to do with like food intolerance. If somebody has an autoimmune disease or something like that, maybe they're interacting with wheat and they eat something that's a whole grain that has some wheat in it and they're reacting to the wheat. Um, Whereas somebody else who might have insulin resistant that doesn't have that issue may be reacting fine. And so Yeah, I think that that's like a big one is like carbohydrates are the enemy. And I think that we need to learn how to eat carbs in the right portions for our bodies, eat good quality carbohydrates and to find the ones that work really well for us. And, you know, maybe avoid the ones that are not working well in your body. If someone
0: started digesting your content, I guess pun intended there, and they realized that some of the things (laughs) that you were posting about seemed like experiences that they were having, And they said, oh, that's a symptom. How, like, what would be common symptoms of insulin resistance that someone could start becoming more aware of so that they can become an advocate for their own health and identifying if this is something that they are dealing with or not?
1: So I would say the number one thing that people tell me like on inquiry calls and stuff like that that they most related to would be the lack of weight loss like trying really hard on weight loss and not being able to lose weight be feeling very discouraged when and you know they're saying they're doing everything right but weren't always believed in the past by professionals and so Um, That would be number one. The other one would be like fatigue. I think like a lot of tiredness because the glucose is not entering the cell, you're not going to get that energy. And so you may feel very lethargic and tired, um, hungry all the time. And um, you might have a lot of cravings like sugar cravings. Um, uh, I've do have a lot of clients that have anxiety because I think stress is such a big component of insulin resistance. Whenever I ask that on a call, like most people say, yes, I have a lot of anxiety. <laughs> um, uh, trouble sleeping. That would be another one to look out for. Um, bloating. Not everybody has bloating, but some people struggle with the bloating. I think a lot of people don't even know if they're bloated. Like they'll, Tell me, like, I don't know, my stomach has felt the same for so long. Like, I'm not really sure what the difference would be. Um, Brain fog. Some people may have brain fog. um, But I would say those are, like, the main ones. And you've talked a little bit about hormone imbalance and the
0: role. I, I mean, I would love to dig in a little bit more, like, the role that hormones play in managing your stress and your cortisol and how that can play a role here. So what are the common signs
1: of a hormone imbalance? Like how would you check this with your doctor? So the, so the a com, common signs would be like everything I just mentioned would be great things to bring up with your doctor. If you're like, I'm not sleeping well, I feel fatigued, I'm hungry all the time type thing. Um, Another thing is if you are having hirsutism, which is a little bit more common in PCOS, so it's like the unwanted hair on your face, you might have it on your chest. Um, It can be dark, coarse hair. That can be a sign of high testosterone, so that can be um, a marker of hormone imbalance. Uh, Menstrual cycle that isn't regular can be a really big one. If you're not on a 28-day cycle, um, that would be something to investigate. Acne. I would, yeah, I would say like acne skin tags. There's like, those are the main like skin signs of insulin resistance. So if you do have any of those types of things, you can always go to your doctor and just let them know. And like from my own personal hormone imbalance, um, I'll share my hormone issue, but I actually was able to go to the endocrinologist and talk this all through with her of like what I was experiencing. And I've struggled with hirsutism since I was like 12. And it's like the unwanted hair on my face. And I never knew that was a hormone imbalance until my 30s. I just, you know, I was used to living in my body. I knew it wasn't natural, but my mom had it too. And she never did any like investigation about it. And so I really didn't know what it was. It was just something I kind of dealt with. And so when I, it I was actually on social media that I saw that it was called hirsutism. And so I, when I went to my doctor, the other thing that I learned is that whenever you have high androgens, which when you have hirsutism, you have high androgen production, and those androgens Are prone to storing belly fat. And I know in the past, like I've worked for, I've been a gym dietitian and have, I was in my prime, I would say like six years ago, and I was working with trainers and everything. But I remember how I lost like a lot of weight and I was very in shape at the time. I still could not get a lean stomach. And I could not understand why. And now looking back, I mean, compared to others, it may not seem like a big like thing, but to me, I was like, I worked really hard and I still have like a bloated looking belly. And so I think a lot of this relates back to this excess androgen production that I've been dealing with for so long. And so, um, Yeah, it's just mind blowing to how hormones can really make you more prone to certain things. Totally. And I feel
0: like it's crazy to me that we don't talk more about hormone health until you're realizing that there's something that feels wrong in your body or something that you know has not felt normal. You know your body well enough to know this just something is not right. But there it's so hard to actually get an answer or like even get an appointment with an endocrinologist. I messaged my doctor saying, I want to see an endocrinologist and, oh, well, we have to see you first. And it's like, we have to do all these hoops to jump through instead of just being able to say, let me help you become an advocate for yourself. And you know, your body, I've never seen you in person due to COVID. So it's crazy. It's that's why I think it's so helpful to have people like you that are raising the awareness of how women, men, or anyone need to be managing their hormones, because I would imagine that this isn't just something that plagues women because everyone has hormones. But I feel like for me, I became much more intrigued about hormone health after I got pregnant and after I had my kids, because I felt like things seemed to be going one way before, and now they're going a different way, or they don't seem to be going as well. Um, But it's just... It's such an interesting process. I feel like hormone health is just something that more people need to become aware of how their hormones operate, even like what the hormones are. I don't even feel like everyone knows exactly what the hormones are. Like I didn't know that because I believe insulin is a hormone, right? Or is. It is. Crazy. Yeah. like I never yeah. would have known that. Mm-hmm. I know maybe I should have known that. I didn't study nutrition or the body or health or anything in school, but That seems like something that more people should be aware of to me.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And I have a lot of people that ask me, like, what lab work to ask for when they go to their doctor. And I really think that doctors are very knowledgeable in in getting hormones checked. And so if you're at an endocrinologist's office, all I really had to go and do is explain everything I was going through. And she gave me like a whole lab workup of of hormones so you know they're the experts in that and they'll know like what to check so i think that what is important is to make sure that you're communicating everything you're going through maybe write it down before you go there so that you're like Mm -hmm. covering everything yeah that's a really good point i
0: feel like so what if you were to go and do the lab work and most everything comes back pretty normal are there still ways or is there still a possibility that you could be insulin resistant if everything comes back normal, but like right
1: on the cusp of being problematic? You mean for like a fasting insulin? You yeah. Mean like let's normal? say so of
0: the, of the, of the tests you would get done where the markers that indicate a resistance to insulin might be, or like your hormone health might be right on the cusp. Could there still be potential, like, has that happened with any of your clients where you're like, well, this seems normal, but given your experiences, we're going to try like moving forward with the assumption that this is something that you're likely dealing with, even if the results don't necessarily give us a glaring, like, yes, this is happening. Has that ever happened with any of your clients? And like, what do you advise them to do?
1: with some of the lab work i noticed the ranges are a little bit higher for what's recommended for a fasting insulin than what i've researched from the there's quite a few doctors that are like experts in insulin resistance that i follow like benjamin bickman and um there's a few others hormone intelligence is a really good book but anyways a lot of those doctors talk about having a fasting insulin that's less than eight and even optimal less than six. And so I rarely see that. And for myself, when I got tested, I was an eight. So I was borderline at the time and I've been working on that since. So it's even lower now, but like, that would be like the cusp. And I was not like struggling with weight or anything at the time that I got that tested. I was like, where I want it to be. So I very, very rarely get people that come to me that have that optimal fasting insulin level. um, It's really difficult unless you're like consciously like working on it and balancing hormones. And so a lot of people that come to me have not been doing those types of things, or maybe have not been as tuned into blood sugar. And so I don't really like see too many people that are like within all the perimeters. So
0: what percentage of the population actually is insulin resistant? I I imagine that there's got to be research on this, but do you have any like metrics or data that point to the amount of people that actually might be insulin resistant? Because I imagine that there would be uh, a correlation between the fact that a lot of the population is obese and a lot of the population may have trouble losing weight. And maybe this is something they've never heard about, but what, what are the numbers as you know them?
1: as I know them, it's like the more than one in three people, um, in America Mm -hmm. have insulin resistance, but they really don't know because, um, I, Mark Hyman has talked about this. Like so many people have not been tested for fasting insulin. So like, how could we really know how many people are impacted by this? But we know like a whole heck of a lot of people because they already know more than one in three, I would say like, everybody is at risk to be insulin resistant and, develop into diabetes, so I think that it's important for everybody to learn about blood sugar and how to control it. And some of the things in America that are working against us as far as like blood sugar management goes, and the more you're aware and educated, the better you can be like proactive with your health so that you don't get... What are some of the
0: things that are kind of against us as a population when it comes to blood sugar management and kind of how we are presented with food choices and dietary choices?
1: I think some of the biggest things that I see in clients is um, lives that are really busy and stressful and very little time for like cooking. And people may have time to meal prep for a week or two. And then by the third week, like life stuff happens and they don't have time to prep and like foods just like randomly grabbed. And so they might not be eating terrible, but they might be snacking through meals, consuming more calories than they mean to or they're just not getting enough nutrition like that. They're not reaching enough vegetable intake. They're not getting enough fiber. Um, Another one I would say is like not enough fiber intake. Pretty much, I've only ever had one person that I've coached that had sufficient fiber intake. It's a very big issue and it helps to lower blood sugar. It helps prevent weight gain. It's a non-digestible carbohydrate. And so it's really incredible for like disease prevention. And there's just not enough of it every day eaten for most people. And so it can cause issues like high cholesterol, insulin resistance. Um, And then I think too, just the culture in America being like lots of sugar and um, people buying things when they're out and not having great options to select from. Um, I think that that happens, you know, quite a lot Speaking of
0: sugar, I am like a Starbucks junkie. I love being able to get the points and it just is like a rewarding experience to be able to go out and buy a coffee. It's super close to my house. Obviously they're everywhere, but looking at some of your content, I was shocked when like an iced caramel macchiato is 34 grams of sugar, which is insanity to me. And I know that you've kind of become like famous for giving your alternates. What is like a range in which you should be aiming for if you're going to get a coffee out somewhere? And what are some tips you have for like, here's how to replace, you know, maybe what a Starbucks iced caramel macchiato might usually have, like, here's a better option for you. What would you even ask for?
1: So i love this the starbucks thing is kind of funny like i never realized it i saw people online doing starbucks revamps but i thought well let's do it with blood sugar control and i think what was different about my content is that i refused to recommend the sugar-free sweeteners and that was like the big up that i had on everybody else is everybody was recommending sugar-free this add pumps of you know just replace it with sugar-free stuff And so I was like, first of all, I don't like the way that sugar-free syrup tastes. And second of all, it's not great for gut health. So I really wanted to find something else. Um, And then I was really inspired by, I was a renal dietitian for six years. And in renal, the top two um, conditions that cause kidney failure are hypertension and diabetes. And so... I would see a lot of people on dialysis coming in with their Starbucks, and as much as I coached them to change their drink or maybe cut back, they still did it anyway. And so um, knowing that people are going to buy these things anyways, I thought, well, you know, let me just try to revamp them and make them less sugar so that overall if they get these drinks every single day they're consuming less sugar like in a week's span and so um what i really aim to do was just to cut down on the amount of sugar because whenever you lower your sugar intake your taste buds will actually get louder so you can start to taste the sugar better so you'll dull your taste buds the more sugar that you consume and this is the same for salt too and that's why you might see somebody adding 10 packets of sugar to their coffee because their taste buds can't really taste the sugar anymore and so it might be a little bit hard at first to start cutting back on the sugar but after a while it's it will taste a lot sweeter, amazingly. And so I really just wanted to encourage people to start where they're at and start to cut back on the amount of pumps that they ask for and uh, revamp their drinks that way. And so what I did was a lot of times I just cut the sugar in half, or if it asks for four pumps, I would say like one or two pumps. Um, I might swap out a syrup that was like lower in sugar compared to other syrups. And then I always put the option of adding one or two packets of Stevia if they needed it even sweeter to try to help with that. But um, yeah, I think if you're ordering at Starbucks and you want to revamp a drink, then I would just ask for less pumps. It's really easy to do that. And I remember the first time I did that, it was a pumpkin spice latte. And I asked for a tall with one pump of pumpkin spice and the barista went, ew. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. So I like, you know, for these reasons, I never thought that on social media, it would take off the way it did. But people were really like, excited to try and I'm thankful for that I'm glad people went out there yeah because it's it seems
0: daunting to have to think about okay I might have to change so much of my lifestyle if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm not going to be able to enjoy because I feel like where people stop when they have to do diets or when they're being recommended to count everything is it just becomes so daunting to just like live. So I think that the Starbucks approach that you have just felt very easy and approachable. Okay. Like I can, she's telling me everything that I can ask for if I'm ordering ahead, I can easily just input the information. So I think that that makes it just feel easier because you're telling people like you're giving them an option. And then they can easily implement the option and it doesn't feel like a lot of added pressure or like it's going to be hard. And when it becomes hard, like let's do a hundred squats, a hundred sit-ups. Like sometimes that's like, when am I going to be able to do that? But going and getting a coffee is like a habitual part of people's routine. So that to me is like why I feel like it's so approachable because it seems okay. Like this is doable. I can make this happen. This is going to be easy for me. And, uh, an easy solution versus I have to overhaul my whole life, which feels so daunting.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's like too many changes at once. I think they say like you have an 80% chance of completing the new habit if you have one change. And if it goes to two, it drops down to 30%. It's like significantly lower. So we're not really meant as humans to be doing all these changes at once. And that's why a lot of people just can't do it. It's too much. So if you can still get your coffee and change a couple things, then... um, Yeah, I think I agree. I think for myself, it was doable as well. So
0: what are, you've talked a little bit about cortisol and that a lot of your clients when that they have high stress jobs or that, you know, that's one of the quote unquote, like warning signs to be aware of is how high is your cortisol? So how do people know if their cortisol is high? Like what are common symptoms that you might say, okay, based on listening to that alone, like I would imagine, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah I actually was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue uh, quite a few years ago. And that really is was my first um, time that I took a deep dive into cortisol. And so I've personally been through it. And I think how it felt in my own body is I definitely was doing too much. I was working a lot and even if you're not working like two jobs, if you're a mom and you're working a job and then you're coming home and you're doing all the life stuff and then you don't sit down to breathe. Yeah, I know. I was like, this is probably your story. Um, so yeah, like it, it's a lot. It's, it's, sorry, my phone keeps beeping. I actually is have it on right now and it's calibrated. Yes, but it calibrates for the first day. So it's no. a false low. It's not a true. Well, low. no, the reason why I um, asked if you're low is because but... my daughter wears her DEXCOM. So
0: we know, okay, the three uh-huh. beeps is a low and the two beeps is a high based on her like threshold. So we every oh, yeah. time I hear those beeps now, I immediately am like, Oh, like, do you need to go get a snack? Or, you know, do you need you want to go take a break, have like a sip of juice <laughs> or something? So, okay, so can you explain, I know we kind of are getting yeah. off topic, but I would love for you to explain like what a CGM is because people like me who have a diabetic child, like I am very much aware of what it is and the purpose that it serves. You can finish, you know, the other, yeah. how you were responding if you wanted, but then maybe we can dive into like, what is a CGM and why you recommend your clients wear one because, and then what it can tell them, but we'll get there.
1: Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> So with the cortisol, some things that really helped me and also like, so busyness, stress, that'd be something to look for. Um, If you're tired all the time, maybe you're not sleeping right. Um, Those are all great indications and and weight loss issues. Like if you feel like you're not losing weight, Those are all like great indications to get your cortisol tested. And I took an at-home kit for cortisol and I actually thought it was better because if you go to the doctor, they're gonna have you come like you know, early in the morning before nine and get your cortisol tested. Whereas like, if you do it through an online thing, you get sent in the mail, different tubes and you spit in them all throughout the day at different times. So you'll be able to see your cortisol throughout the day versus like just one cortisol. Um, and I used everly well, which is pretty, they they're pretty accurate. So, I did that test and my cortisol was like all over the place. And so I knew I had to really work on it. And at the time, because I was working so much and I was so tired, I was living on coffee. Like I probably had three or more cups a day throughout like the day. I would always stop by like three o'clock, but I really consumed, I would say the most in the morning And I felt very anxious all the time. And so what I learned about my cortisol is that when you have too much caffeine intake like that, your body gets reliant on caffeine for energy instead of raising your cortisol in the morning for energy. And so it basically, that's why my cortisol was low in the morning. And the feeling for me was like, I couldn't get out of bed or function without coffee. So if that's you, then you might want to practice consuming less coffee, which is so hard. I totally get that. It was like a year journey for me to get my cortisol on track. And so take your time, you know, you know, like, don't feel like you need to like overnight do this. I had to switch to like half calf and then quarter calf and then, um, also, though, you have to deal with this, like, tiredness in the morning. And so I tried to do workouts for energy. So I started getting up at, like, 5 in the morning and doing a 6 a.m. class. And then after that, I just trying to get my face in the sun as often as possible. Um, I think if you have a red light that that might be very similar to for cortisol, raising cortisol, um but i would say like if you're consuming caffeine like getting dependent on like if you get headaches when you don't drink coffee you might want to work on reducing caffeine if you have cortisol issues um and a lot of it's just like stress management too making sure that you're not overstressing your body so like meditation yoga things like that lower cortisol um and then balancing blood sugar of course, because whenever your blood sugar is high, you may feel agitated, and that increases stress. And so anything that's stressing you out, you know you really want to create and restore more balance. That's in your so body. wild.
0: I tried doing thirty days without coffee at the recommendation of the naturopathic doctor that I've been seeing. The first two weeks mm-hmm. were brutal. I was getting terrible migraines. I was so exhausted. I felt like an absolute grump the whole day and I gave up coffee like cold turkey. So I think obviously that's why in part was because I went from having like two to three cups a day to just having nothing for a month. So that was really hard, but I definitely agree. Even my psychiatrist at one point when I was experiencing a lot more anxiety, was referencing, like, how much coffee are you drinking on top of your stressful job, on top of all the other things you're going, like, you're going through. So that's the, that's a real, that's a real, it's crazy that it's like the coffee can increase the anxiety because you, you drink it thinking like, okay, this is going to, like, help me out. But actually in excess, it can be more harm, like, it can do more harm than it is doing good.
1: Yeah, yes, I know, and it's hard. Like, so where are you today with your caffeine intake? Today
0: I had I'm two curious. cups of coffee.
1: Is it is it less than you did before? Do you feel like that's sometimes gotten better I for don't you?
0: have two cups, and sometimes I'll have one cup, sometimes I'll have none. What's interesting is that similar like you, I've started doing morning workouts like before my kids get up for get up to go to daycare and i will use like a all natural i guess it's like a pre workout um and sometimes i find like after i do a workout and i have that like i don't need any coffee but today i just felt extra tired because i had a, i was i had a lot of late nights over the weekend with the kids and some events So I felt like this week I was no, I knew like going into the week, I was probably going to be a little bit more tired, but sometimes I find that I don't need it when I get a good workout in, in the morning.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And that's like, and I love how you spoke to how it's really hard to, you know, like it's not easy to get up and start working out in the morning if that's not what you're used to, but eventually it gets easier. Like you just, your body actually wants to get up and do the workout and I think matcha was really helpful for me too. So I'd have like a matcha right after my workout, which is like a calm energy. It does have caffeine, but it's not going to hit your parasympathetic nervous system like our, uh, your sympathetic, your like fight or flight nervous system like coffee does. So... It's like, I would say like add things in as much as you can to get that energy. I like how you did that pre-workout too. Yeah, I was going to ask you also like,
0: have you ever tried matcha? Do you like matcha? Because I feel like if you're a coffee lover, switching to matcha feels like a really big jump. But actually sometimes I'll get a matcha tea latte from Starbucks and I will ask for it to be unsweetened. And it is like a very different taste than like a sweet coffee drink. But if you're already feeling a little jittery, the result is so much different than when you have like the sugary coffee where you just get worked up. Some people I find like the, okay, the amped up feeling, but then the crash will undoubtedly come. And that is so much worse, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. than finding alternatives to fit kind of how you're feeling. But part of that becomes awareness. Like how is your body actually feeling and like checking in with yourself before you're just going back to doing all of these things and then wondering like, gosh, I'm so tired now at 2 PM or I'm feeling so anxious. I don't know why, like I'm not even having a stressful day, but it's, I think it's just so crazy how our bodies work and how everything is intrinsically linked and the role that blood sugar really plays in this. Like, I think that that's wild. Speaking of, so. I hadn't honestly realized the impact that carbohydrates had on blood sugar. I I did maybe like surface level until my daughter's diagnosis, but can you, do you still recommend that your clients eat certain carbs? Like what are good carbs? Would you say like, are there carbs that can help with insulin resistance and like, which ones do you recommend and why?
1: So there's two different, categories of carbs. Basically, there's simple carbs and complex carbs, simple carbs break down into sugar in your body right away. And so that's going to be like white flour, white bread, sugar, complex carbs are the ones we want to focus on with insulin resistance. And there's two different carbohydrates that uh, complex carbs break down into it's uh, fiber, or that they contain not break down it's fiber and starch. And so fiber and starch. They are mostly like in combination in foods like beans will have both starch and fiber. So fiber is your non-digestible carbohydrate. It's flushed from the body. It revs up your metabolism. And when it's in your stomach, it actually expands and absorbs fat. And I think that this is one of the most important concepts that I teach my clients because if a lot of times when people have high cholesterol, it's not because they're eating too much fat, it's because they're either over consuming sugar or they're, they don't have enough fiber. And usually, and always, they don't have enough fiber in their diet. And so if you're just taking like a fiber supplement and you're not taking it with your meals, you're not going to get that fiber expanding in the stomach and, and absorbing the fat in your meal. And so we want fiber to work for us, you actually, digest less calories when you pair fiber with your meal and there's fat present and so these things like work together and so then fiber the body wants to digest fiber it can't and so it's like it's just flushed and that's why it helps so much with bowel movement and then even further it triggers your colon your uh hormone cholecystokinin which goes up to your brain and says i'm full and so that's why fiber really helps with fullness as well, because it's expanding in the stomach. Um, and so that's fiber. And then the other one is starch and starch can further break down into resistant starch, which is food for your gut, not food for you. So if you have a potato or rice or a grain and you cook it and then you coal it, it starts to build hydrogen bonds, which is considered resistant starch. And so it reduces the overall carb load that's gonna be digested and converted into energy. So, if you refrigerate those things overnight for 12 hours, you're going to get even more hydrogen bonds built. And so, when I tested this with my continuous glucose monitor, I had a 57% decrease whenever I ate a refrigerated potato with a balanced meal compared to one that was just boiled on the stovetop and eaten with my meal. So a significant decrease in blood sugar with that resistant starch build up. And I think it explains like there are several cultures that consume a lot of rice and at every meal. In- They may not be overweight. And so it's really interesting to see how we can alter the carbs a little bit in order to have a better impact on our blood sugar. And then I would say too, for morning, I do have quite a few clients that don't handle carbs as well in the morning. And so they might eat more carb controlled in the morning. And then quickly going back to the cortisol topic, your cortisol actually starts to decrease from 9am on to like 12, I think it is. And so the optimal time to have a cup of coffee is like 10 o'clock, from what I've researched and saw. So like the matcha just served as something in the morning for me to have some something hot and a little bit of energy. And then I would like put off my coffee or my half-calf until like 10, and then I would have it. And I had way less anxiety doing that. So um, that would be like a small change that you could do and make sure you eat your balanced breakfast before your coffee. So is breakfast necessary?
0: Do you think, like, I feel my husband doesn't eat breakfast, for instance. He's never been a breakfast eater, but he has a super fast metabolism. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we all have different bodies. But do you need that balanced breakfast in the morning to get your hormones and to get your body and your metabolism going? Like, what's a well-rounded breakfast that you would recommend to a client?
1: So I think for myself that breakfast is soup. Super important. I notice when I'm skipping breakfast and I'm eating like lunch, I tend to snack more and then eat dinner. I'm not really eating like as much nutritious, balanced meals. And so, I do eat breakfast. I think it's important. But there's a lot of research out there Mm -hmm. for all different types of things. So I can't say that that's like the best thing for everybody. You know, some people don't eat breakfast and it works well for them, and they get enough nutrition in. So you really have to do what's right for your body. Um, But I would say like some go to breakfasts that I really love are um, I do a smashed up banana. It's like a banana pancake, but it's like smashed up banana with protein powder in it and then two eggs. And that's it. That's it. You just stir it up and you cook them up on the stove and um, I'll eat that. Another thing I really like is eggs in the morning. So I'll do like eggs. I love to add vegetables in and then um, vegetables and then a healthy fat too. Like if you wanna add avocado or something like that, that would be like a super simple breakfast. I really like bread seriously. It's S-R-S-L-Y. They make a sourdough that's gluten-free that doesn't impact my blood sugar. And so that's like another thing, like if you're adding bread in in the morning, you just want to make sure that you're choosing something that's right for your body and that you're still getting the results you want with blood sugar. So it doesn't mean that you can't have carbs in the morning. You just want to choose the ones that work the best for you and make you feel the best. Um, so I would say that would be like a go Couple go-to breakfasts, sometimes I do smoothies. Um, But there's really, I feel like if you have a special breakfast that you love, it's very easy to recreate it for blood sugar control. As long as you keep the, I call it the PFF method on my TikTok, protein, fat, and fiber are gonna be your main focus for breakfast to ensure that you have those components in your meal for balanced blood sugar. So
0: on the fiber side, like what are foods high in fiber or what would a fiber supplement be? Is it like a pill that you would take and Pro tip, you mentioned like it, it's best when
1: you take it with a meal. Yes, yeah. So fiber is commonly found like in non-starchy vegetables, they're loaded with fiber. Um, Some vegetables have more fiber than others. So if you go on Google and you just Google, you know, vegetables, highest top 10 veggies, highest in fiber, you're gonna get like a million lists that will come up. And so you'll be able to see that like artichoke hearts are significantly high. And there's like certain things that are exceptional, whereas like other things are maybe not as high. But I think it's really important to have a variety of all the veggies as much as possible. Like leafy greens are still super important because the colors of the veggies are—they have, have phytochemicals, and that really helps protect us against disease, chronic diseases. And so, uh, vegetables do a lot of amazing things for us. And the recommended serving per day of vegetables is like four to six, depending on the person. And so quite a lot of veggies. And I rarely see people meeting those goals consistently. And so I think that's like a great place to start. But I have found that even with six servings of vegetables, I'm not getting sufficient fiber every day. And so in addition, I'll add like uh, beans. So like a half cup of beans gives you a great amount of fiber or um, some grains. You could do a half cup to a cup of grains, adding those in. So those are the types of things that will help and then if you have like some sort of fiber cracker or fiber one cereal something like that can really help you to get some fiber with the meal as well and if you're taking a supplement, um, I really recommend working on getting it from food first because you don't want to just replace food for supplement supplements because you're not going to get all those added nutrients and benefits like all the disease fighting you know phytochemicals in and vegetables are not going to be in your Metamucil. So you want to make sure that you are getting those types of things in first. Um, but yeah, you can definitely add like f- fiber supplements. I think they come in like capsules. I really, the only fiber supplement that I take is called Regular Girl. And it's really great. It has like prebiotic and probiotic in it as well. And so it's really great for travel. I find when I'm traveling I don't get enough fiber. It's just a lot harder. And so if I have like a packet to dump in my food, that would be a great time to lean into a fiber supplement, is if you're on the go and you're very busy and you just need an extra- What are some of
0: your favorite like hacks? Like that's a great hack, but do you have any others or like brands that you love because they make a great snack that's good for balancing your blood sugar? Like, do you have any other like tips or hacks that you think that people should know about or just that you love that have worked well for you?
1: Yeah, I think um, Brahmi beans. So if you've ever they're Lupini beans, they're really good. Um, and they're really high in fiber. They're zero net carbs. Um, so they're a great fiber boost, but again, it, they're more presented as a snack. So I would like throw it on a salad or incorporate it into your meal so that you can get those fat absorbing benefits. Um, and then a hack that went, got really big on TikTok was I was showing that like, I always got hungry at like four o'clock while I'm making dinner. And so that was like, An issue for me. So I was like looking for some snacks, something I could like put in my mouth while I'm like making food so I just could feel okay. And ever since I increased my metabolic flexibility, which is like a whole nother topic, um, I'm a lot better now. I don't have to have, I don't have this like insatiable hunger. But what helped me at the time was um, consuming some Kalamata olives before dinner. And they're the highest in fat of all olives. And so just four to five would make me feel okay. To the point where I could like make dinner and not um, just start eating things. And I think too, like chopping vegetables for the week ahead of time and making a snack tray. If you are a snacker and you do like to munch on things, that could be a great hack for you because I feel like if celery's in the fridge, not cut or carrots, it's just not, you're not gonna cut totally. it every time you need food. <laughs> you're yeah, gonna grab or you're chips. Gonna, instead. Like, I was actually on a
0: kick for a while of juicing a lot of my vegetables like carrot juice but then I would use a cutie or I would put some lemon in there so that it would be like a mix. And my kids were loving it. I need to get back into it because it's so hard to get a one-year-old and a four-year-old to eat a bunch of vegetables. And so that was a great way for me to get them to have celery and carrots and like ginger, light ginger, so that it wasn't too spicy. But Um, We've been talking about a lot of like healthy foods, but I want to ask you about alcohol because A, can you even drink if you are insulin resistant? Like how does that impact your blood sugar? Because obviously there are carbs in most beverages. So like what's your alcohol hack if you have one?
1: So... As far as alcohol goes, the best alcohol for blood sugar control would be like liquors. And especially if you're like sipping on it on the rocks, like bourbon or something like that, you're not going to have the blood sugar impact. Like if you do a tequila soda, that's going to be it's very plain or you do like maybe a splash of lime or um, lemon or something like that that is going to keep your blood sugar like the most stable is like the lower the sugar the better i know my friend olivia she's also a dietitian and we went on a trip together and she taught me this hack where we were at a mexican restaurant and we ordered margaritas but we asked for everything separate and so they brought like the liquor and the syrup and everything separate And so we made our drinks ourselves with just a splash of the syrup instead of like the whole thing of syrup. And that significantly reduced the sugar. And so I think always being mindful of like how much sugar is in those types of drinks. And if you can find a way and you're brave enough to Mm -hmm. ask for everything separate, that that can be really helpful. But I would say the biggest thing as far as blood sugar goes to watch with alcohol is even if you are consuming these ones that won't raise your blood sugar, you're going to have a low because uh, alcohol lowers your blood sugar. And so you are going to have a dip down. And I see this with my continuous glucose monitor. And that's where you might feel some sugar or carb cravings. That's why, you know in college everyone was at the bar and then they were at the pizza Mm -hmm. shop afterwards because they're all having dips in their blood sugar and they need to get you know they're having all these carb cravings now and so i think it's good as often as possible to pair your drinks with a meal or if you do know that you are going to have a drink and there's not going to be a meal present maybe snack on like olives or nuts that would be a great time to kind of incorporate maybe you know, some no spike snacks to just kind of keep your blood sugar a little bit more stable. Or like sometimes I've just been in situations where I feel the dip and I'm like, I'm really hungry right now, but I know it's just because I had alcohol. And, you know, just getting comfortable with being hungry, I think is a big thing that I teach clients, you know, because whenever you're trying to improve your metabolic flexibility, you're gonna be more hungry in the begin beginning and you may not need food. Your body may not need that energy. It's more of a craving than actual hunger. And so getting comfortable with hunger and getting used to that space and knowing that it will go away and drinking water, getting through it, um, I think can be a great thing to learn. What is metabolic flexibility? It's when basically your body has this ability... So when you have good metabolic flexibility, your body can switch from sugar to fat depending. So like if you are low, let's say you're consuming a low carb diet, your body can actually tap into your fat and burn it for energy. And whenever you snack a lot or have a lot of meals and you're insulin resistant, you may be a sugar burner. And I think the best way to, to feel this in your body is I think over the holidays, like if you're baking cookies and you eat a cookie and then let's say 30 minutes later, you feel like you're hungry again. And so you're like craving that cookie. So you're eating another cookie and then you might be snacking on different high carbs throughout the day. Cause it's like the holidays and you just feel like your, your hunger, it never, you never feel full. You're just hungry the whole day. And no matter what you're doing, you just feel hungry. And so your body is relying on glucose for energy. It keeps triggering you for glucose and you keep giving it glucose. And so you're not really training your body to switch into fat and to burn that for energy. And so the more you can take breaks between meals and eliminate snacking, the better your metabolic flexibility will get. And how you know you have better metabolic flexibility is if you can comfortably go four to five hours without food and not feel like you're going to (laughs) be hangry or, uh,
0: So would you, (laughs) do you recommend fasting as like a practice here and there for people with insulin resistance to help in that like training of their body and their metabolic flexibility?
1: Yeah. And I think fasting is just like anything else. You don't want to like jump into anything and, you know, just start doing all this fasting all of a sudden. So what I really recommend and what's highly recommend, rent, recommended for insulin resistance is to have this like 12 to 13 hour window overnight where you do not eat. So making sure that you're stopping eating early enough, a couple hours before bed and that you're, you are getting a nice fast in overnight um, and then to take a break between meals. So focus on balanced meals and getting enough calories in at meals. Um, so that you can take a break and that's where it's really key to have balanced meals so that you can get to that next meal without feeling like you need to snack Mm -hmm. through the afternoon. Um, and then about two times a week after you've mastered those steps, you could add like a 16, eight fast. So that's when you're fasting for 16 hours and you're eating in an eight hour window And I've found with intermittent fasting, it actually works really well for most people when they don't feel like they have to do it every day. So like if they know they could do that on a Saturday, I mean, anytime you fast, you give your body a break. So if you didn't show up every day for your 16 eight window, it doesn't mean anything. And for weight loss, you know, in research, when they gave people the same exact calories and one people had a window, other people didn't, there was no difference in weight loss. Now, as far as like cell turnover and giving your body a break there, you know, fasting has proven to have a lot of benefits and they I've even read in research, like one 24 hour fast a month can be really helpful. So you can even like further fast fasting is a lot harder for women than men. So if you have a spouse or a partner and they're like really good at fasting and not eating all day, and maybe they don't even mean to fast, they're just doing it. Um, but you feel like it's really hard for you. Like, don't be discouraged because it is a lot easier for men to, uh, go hours and hours. Yeah. I've tried. So my husband's Muslim. So
0: when Ramadan comes around, And all the men in his family are fasting. I've done it before, but it was so hard for me. But I am someone who I feel like has always needed, like, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or else I do get hangry. So it's interesting now. I know, like, okay, well, my blood sugar must be going one way or the other, especially because, like, when I work out in the morning, I don't have food first because it's 6 a.m. So I'm not, like, eating something then. And then when I come home, I'll try to be mindful of, okay, let's get... Some protein and let's try to have like some fruit. Or I love the breakfast that you mentioned, are similar to like what I like to eat um, for breakfast. Like being mindful of okay, how is this going to actually like provide me with something? But then there are times when I'm apps like recently this weekend I had I went on a carb overload. I just was craving carbs the whole weekend. All I wanted to eat was like bagels, and I was. And then I finally realized like, okay, this is like, that's how I was during my pregnancy as well. So it's interesting because I'm like, I'm becoming more aware of what might that mean? What might I need to like pay attention to given that this is like happening or given that this is how I'm feeling.
1: There can be a lot of things behind that. Are you super, um, like restrictive throughout the week with your diet? Um, No, I mean, sometimes I am more so than
0: others, but I feel like for the most part during the week, we're pretty good. But I think it was because last week I did weight training five days or six days out of the seven and I was just really busy. And then when the weekend came and I wasn't like so busy, I was a lot more aware of like specific hunger cues. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I think it's normal to crave like foods that are delicious and that you might want. And especially if you were more diligent with your diet throughout the week, you might've felt like you really needed a treat or a break, you know? And so, and also like maybe you had more stress. Um, It can be self-sabotaging behavior. If you feel like you did do well all week, and sometimes you step on the scale and you see weight loss and you're like, I earned this and then you go into bagels and just going nuts with things. Um, I see that a lot, but I I definitely think that having designated times where you do give yourself a break can be really helpful in some personalities. This personality really plays into this as well as like childhood wounds and all types of things with the way that you manifest your emotions through food. Um, and I know you know this very well. And so I think that um, I think some personalities do really well with hard roles. And I, I feel like I, I would get like bread thrown at me or something on a stage, you know, because we're in the age of balance and having like, you know, have things when intuitive eating and all this stuff. But I have found coaching clients that sometimes people do better with hard rolls, like no bread if it's served when they're out. Like let's say they travel a lot and they have this hard roll if they don't eat bread at the table. That helps them so much. Or like for me, I really like hard rolls too. So I do no added sugar. I've been doing this for over a month now and it's been working really well for me. I do no added sugar like Monday through Saturday. My boyfriend does it with me. And then on Sunday we have a treat together. And then I make sure that like that Sunday evening Um, we are having like something that we enjoy that's sweet. And I I'm not doing that with carbs because I don't really have that much of a problem with eating like pastas and stuff like that. I eat them in moderation. I never really like binge on things like that for days. But the sugar, I have a big sweet tooth, and so I knew that was like my biggest area of opportunity for more control and more consistency. And so um I've been doing that and I I gained weight, I gained weight very easily. And I gained weight like over last winter, and so it was just less movement. And I didn't realize how much sugar had been creeping up in my own diet. And so when I cut, I just did that no added sugar. I've lost eight pounds since doing no added sugar Monday through wow. Saturday. So that was really that was even though i wasn't like eating all this sugar i didn't think i was eating that much when you start looking at every package to see how much added sugar is in things and then you start eliminating and replacing i would replace it with something that didn't have added sugar Um, I was significantly reducing calories per week. And so I was starting to see weight loss and less inflammation, of course. Anytime you have hormone imbalances and you cut sugar, you're going to notice you feel better. What are of the hidden, like, sugar? So, So,
0: like, what have you cut out? Because I feel like it's really helpful for people to hear, like, okay, so does that mean you don't eat, like, Ritz crackers because X, or you're not having ice cream, but you're having a piece of fruit instead. Like, what does that look like?
1: yes i was leaning i'm leaning into fruit for dessert 100 um i would eat like dark chocolate throughout the week and i was buying like 72 but it did have some added sugar so that was something i actually replaced it with 100 dark chocolate and then i was adding my own monk fruit if you don't want to do that then you could get like lily's chocolate or do like a sugar-free chocolate you know like just replace it with something else um, peanut butter, I was buying the peanut butter that had like two grams of sugar, like buying, these aren't, this isn't a lot of sugar by any means, because the max for women per day is 25 grams, but with, I'm more diligent. I mean, I think all these like little things add up and you don't realize that maybe you are consuming more sugar than you want to. Um, But I made my own homemade sauce as opposed to buying a jar of sauce that had like three grams of sugar. And so I was really just swapping what I already was doing, but I was diligent about not buying that added sugar product. And I feel like it just, it worked for me. One
0: thing that I feel like when you actually start paying attention, you'll be surprised no matter how you eat. One thing that really surprised me in starting to count my daughter's carbohydrates To properly administer her insulin dosage was that despite what the carbohydrates are the sugars fall under it like no matter how many so you're not counting for the extra sugars because the sugars count as the carbohydrates like as well but you only need to be tracking the carbohydrates but when you actually look at what the added sugars are sometimes it's almost as much as the carbohydrates and that was surprising to me like something like i'm just using ritz crackers as an example because we have like the little self packs But let's say it's 25 grams of carbs, and then it's like 18 grams of sugar. You're not then adding those together because they both digest as a carbohydrate. But I just found that to be so intriguing that even looking at things that I wouldn't imagine would have a lot of sugar in them actually have a lot of sugar in them. Even things like orange juice that we'd have on the weekend. Like if you're having a glass of orange juice with a bagel, that is like that's so many carbs. And that was something that was very surprising to me when I was kind of forced to look at it in a different way. Um, And then also just like for you, I would imagine that you have a lot of like, I guess I would call it like a hack, a snack hack in terms of like the free snacks. Can you talk a little bit about some of your like free snacks that you have that maybe don't impact your like your cgm oh and then you can tell us a little bit more about the cgm
1: sure yeah i i did like a snack list recently on instagram everybody always likes the snack list as much as i (laughs) preached try not to snack like people still want snacks They want snacks so um i really like so one of my recent snacks that i really love is dilly beans i get these at my local farmers market but they're basically like canned beans they're pickled just like a pickle would be except they're green beans they're so good um so i highly recommend those and you can make your own there's like tons of recipes online if you're if you like canning but i just got mine at my local farmers market Um, But if you look at those shops, they have tons of like pickled things. So pickled are really good uh, for you, for your gut. And so I always look in those sections to see if there's any like pickled vegetables that I would enjoy, like asparagus or, you know, just like to mix it up a little bit. Um, I really like the Bar Raw Rev Glow. It's pretty high in fiber. It's pretty high in protein. It's very low in net carb. And so um, the peanut butter one, I'm talking about the peanut butter one specifically. They have a lot of different ones, like chocolate chip and stuff like that. Um, But the peanut butter one, I really like. Um, And then of course, like veggies and dip are always like a great option to even get more uh, veggies in throughout the day. Um, cheese, if you can tolerate it, could be paired with olives, um, or you could pair it with some veggies just to make it a little bit more enjoyable. Um, trying to think of what else, brahmi beans, we Mm -hmm. talked about the lupini beans that I really liked chia pudding. If you're making like a low sugar chia pudding, that could be like a great snack. Um, but those are the types of things I like le- try to lean into as far as like if I just need a little something. And then one of our last
0: things is, can you explain how you use CGMs with your clients?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I use Dexcom. There's all different kinds of you know. Brands and things like that. But I use Dexcom with my clients, and um, I partnered with a company called Cygnos. And I, so what's nice about that is Cygnos has their own app, and so my clients get access to that. And so they, Log their food by taking pictures so they don't have to like count calories or anything. They just need to remember to take a picture. If they forget, they can just write in what they had so that I can see. But everything's connected to like my dashboard, which I really like. But it basically is just a device that goes either on the back of your arm or your stomach and it's connected via Bluetooth to an app. And and, um, you're able to see what your blood sugar does like all throughout the day. And there is like a 20% margin of error. So I know when I first wore one, I didn't have a very good fasting blood sugar. It was above hundred and I was freaking out, but actually there's a margin of error there. So if you did a finger prick, you know, you, I, I got my labs tested and my blood sugar fine in the morning. And so that's something to keep in mind. If you do do a continuous glucose monitor that there is this margin of air, but it doesn't matter because we don't have to be so exact with insulin resistance. If you're working on reversing that, you don't, if you don't have diabetes, like if you have a low, you don't need to run and get a snack. Like you can Mm just, your pancreas works. It will bring your, your blood, your blood sugar will come back up. I always tell clients that you do not need to run and treat this low. So it's a little bit different. And we can focus more on like trends of what's going on with your blood sugar versus like having exact numbers. We could see that maybe you're chronically high in the afternoon or, um, you know, one of my clients, um, she was a 911 responder and her job was super stressful. And so we were able to see with the CGM that her job was stressing her out so much that even eating balanced meals all day, following the insulin resistance thing, um, her blood sugar was chronically high because of her job and how uh, emotionally stressful it was. And so she ended up taking early retirement, and it was just amazing to see the improvement in blood sugar. And so, when you have a continuous glucose monitor, you're able to see what the root cause issue is like the ultimate cause of your high blood sugar instead of always blaming food. Cause I think food gets blamed a lot and carbs get bashed. And it's like, well, maybe that's not even the issue. Maybe you have like, my client, I was talking about like a sleep apnea issue that needs treated or maybe your job is causing these chronically high stress levels Um, or maybe you have an intolerance to a food and it's causing excess inflammation. I also had a client that um, discovered she had SIBO. When we were working together, it was weird. She was spiking on like lentils and, you know, just a lot of grains and beans. She just could not tolerate it. Her blood sugar was going to like 180 and she wasn't overweight. And I was just like, wow, I'm like, how is this happening? And so she actually got her gut tested and found out she had SIBO what and she got that? treated for that. And she messaged me it's um small intestine bacterial Mm -hmm. overgrowth so it's like when you have an overgrowth of bacteria and usually the protocol for that is to restricting quite a bit of different foods so that the gut can heal and she worked with a naturopathic doctor because i'm not an expert in SIBO and so she worked with a doctor to um, or she might have been a dietician that was an expert in that. Either way, she got her gut tested and then she got treated for it. And she messaged me recently to let me know that she's tolerating lentils just fine now. So there could be like an underlying issue going on that if you're not treating that and you're just eliminating lentils, you're not really healing what you know the, the root cause issue yeah, is. Yeah, that's
0: so interesting. It's so empowering to be able to have some of these tools at our disposal now. To be able to become, again, like for me, everything Mm -hmm. just comes back to being informed. Like it's impossible. It feels so frustrating to just think like all these things are happening, but then not know where to turn, which is why like I was so excited to have this conversation with you again, times two, just because there's so much information that I feel like is imperative for people to be aware of, to... Be able to have a access to information, super important. And then being able to actually take an action on that information and say, oh, like skin tags, overweight, obesity, like my waist to height ratio, like obese. Okay. They're like all these things, tired, fatigue, you know, all of those things that when you go to a regular doctor, sometimes you're like, no one seems to be talking to me, like, or they understand. It's like, oh, you're, you've had a kid, you're getting older. But so I, when I came across your page, I was just like, wow, I need to talk to her because this is such an important message. Is there anything, like, what would be, what would be your goal for how you want to use your platform over the next like five years? Like, where? what's your end vision? Like, is there a place where you'll say, I'll feel super successful or super happy, or I'll feel in total alignment with what my goals are if this happens or once
1: I do this, is there something that comes to mind? That's a really interesting question. Um, I know right now, so I've been working really hard on a membership because I feel like I wanted to make it more affordable for everybody. And I know that my coaching is very premium priced because I only take 10 people at a time and I don't, it's been shut down for like a year and a half and it's always full. So like I knew that wasn't like scalable and for a lot of people, it's just not doable, but a lot of people out there need help. And so I was thankful. I'm thankful that I can provide like free content on my social media platforms, but I really wanted to create a membership. And so it's actually almost ready, it's like about a month away from launching. But um, my two twin cousins, they're really talented in video and editing. And so we were able to kind of come together and do like YouTube style videos. So they're very easy to watch, very engaging. And so There's gonna be like 24 educational videos in there and then like weekly meal plans and recipes. And I also am gonna have like live calls in there every week to support people. And so that's really what I want to do. That's my vision for like the next year is just growing that membership and being there for people, letting them have access to me. And so, um, and then I was thinking too about opening a private practice in Pittsburgh at some point next year. Um, cause I just really want, I think people are going to need access to education for the CGMs because Apple, I don't know if you've heard like Apple watch is working on an app that will mm-hmm. be able to read your blood sugar through the watch. And I know that they've been talking about this for like years and they're saying like they might still be three years away from launch, but when that technology is ready, for the population, there's going to be a lot of questions and a lot of confusion because I mean, I have people now that come to me after using the CGM with these programs like NutriSense, and they just have support from a chat person. And they still have no idea how to regulate their blood sugar, what it means, because they really need more one on one coaching and feedback. And um, that's what my clients get. And they're really successful, because they're able to like talk it out with somebody and actually, have somebody alter their food for them. And so that's going back to the membership. I wanted to create like a school, like a place of education where people, when they do have this technology, they're gonna be able to join that and get everything they need, recipes, education, ask questions, like things like that. So that's really like my big vision because I know that's coming. And when that comes, I'm not sure that CGMs are gonna be as in need anymore for people with just insulin Mm -hmm. resistance and not diabetes. So, you know, like people may not see the benefit of purchasing a right. continuous glucose that's monitor. That's awesome, so. that's so exciting. So yeah.
0: where can people find your content right now?
1: So right now it's best to find me on Instagram at, under Emily Cornelius Nutrition or on TikTok, Emily Cornelius Nutrition. Um, I'm going to be changing my business name in the next month. And so you can, like my website is still live, Emily Nutrition.com, but it will be changing very soon. So I would say Instagram is probably the and best And you'll place, update all um, the
0: links as things, things go live and as your membership program. Okay, awesome.
1: Yeah, I'll be announcing everything and changing the links. Yeah, you heard it here before. first, people. So I'm excited.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming back. This was so awesome. It's always fun to talk with you and just hear your perspective and how you want to help people. So thank you so much for giving us more of your time.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me. I had so much fun and I hope that it can help people. And um, yeah, if anybody has any questions after listening to this, don't hesitate. Yes, definitely reach out.
0: out, find her, follow her on both platforms. (laughs) you <laughs>